Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everyone. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the C-Suite Network. Very excited because we have Eddie Yoon in the house, well, so to speak, at least he's on the line. And he's got this great company, this great organization called Eddie Would Grow, which we're going to learn more about in just a moment and how that name came about. But basically, uh, it's a think tank and advisory firm that focuses on helping companies grow. He is the author of an amazing book, Super Consumers, A Simple, Speedy, and Sustainable Path to Superior Growth. And that's what we're going to be talking about, super consumers, how you can create super consumers. This is what Amazing Business Radio is all about. So, Eddie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, we've got a lot to talk about, and let's first of all talk about Eddie Wood Grow. I actually, uh, I don't know if I read it on your website or watched a video, but go ahead. This interesting way that you came up with this. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I was uh, born and raised in Hawaii, and... I'm uh, already folks, liking you more. What yeah. the heck did you... Where do you live now? I live in a suburb of Chicago now. Now, now why the heck would you move from Hawaii to a suburb in Chicago? Let me guess. It's the weather, right? You love it, it, the it weather. Was the weather and the, the flatness of the Midwest that attracted me here. <laughs> there you go. No, I mean, it's, it's, so right away, Shep, your, your audience is now questioning, like, how smart can this guy be if he made that move early on? But... Um, <laughs> The the uh, I mean the short and the long of it was um, I grew up uh, from uh, immigrant parents. Um, my college decision making was actually quite simple. It was uh, let's uh, my parents were like you're going to go to the school that has the highest ranking with the most financial aid, and that's how I ended up in Chicago and had never been. Um, first time I saw hail. Uh, was here and I thought the world was ending because I, I, I understood snow, but hail was a completely different experience. And, oh my. Um, yeah, so it was me and a, another kid from Southern California we were huddled in the hallway wondering what in the world was going on. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine, you know, yeah. golf ball size hail coming down, you know, hurting. I mean, basically enough to do some serious damage. That's crazy. All right, so Eddie would grow. How did that yeah. come about? So there's a famous big wave surfer um, who's recently passed away, about, you know, some time ago. But his name was Eddie Aikau, and he was um, known for his courage. Uh, he was a lifeguard, saved 500 lives, didn't lose a soul. Uh, big wave surfer. But importantly, um, when they were recreating the uh, ancient Hawaiian kind of uh, navigation by the stars tour, he went out with one of the early canoes. They capsized, and he went for help. And they never saw him again. So um, there's a phrase around Hawaii. You'll see it on T-shirts and bumper stickers called Eddie Would Go. And it kind of symbolizes for me uh, courage and generosity and I think a real passion for um, you know, uh, life and, and the ocean that's there. And so for me, uh, growth strategy is a very similar thing. Um, I've noticed that uh, the clients that I've been lucky with to have grown and gotten significant results in the billions, uh, they have those same characteristics. They're courageous. They've taken a leap of faith based on the facts um, and the faith that they have and the fortitude about the opportunity that's there. Um, they're generous usually. That I, I usually do not see companies really thrive and grow 
by employing what I call a share stealing or pie splitting strategy, which is, you know, we might be in the same category, Shep, and you say, I want to grow, and I say, I'm going to grow by taking away from you, and it's a zero-sum game. Like, the people who have had the most success, in my experience, have been the ones who have given more um, and created more value than they actually take away from it, and that kind of pie-growing nature is what's made them successful. And so that kind of courage and generosity I wanted to encapsulate in uh, who I was, and you know, I didn't want it to be a boring kind of usual consulting name. And so Eddie would grow is kind of how it all. Eddie would, uh, and, and Eddie's out. your first name. Eddie's my first name. And uh, you know, my company is called Shepherd Presentations. You know, yeah, I, I do speeches, and we have training programs where we have our trainers go out and present to audiences. So I use my first name as well. And uh, Eddie is a great name. Shep's a great name, and, and using the first name kind of gives it a sense of uh, I, I don't know if it's personality, if it's um, warmth if it's um you know less uh sterile i I wholeheartedly agree on that and and i think i think shep what's interesting about the two of us is that i think we both kind of represent what i think is going to be the trend of the future which is that um the brand of the individual leader will make more of a difference than the brand of the organization is you know just kind of the way that i see things going i like that. that yeah yeah, and that, that's why I think that, you know, what you've done with Shepherd Presentations or me, like, that's the way that it's going to go is that um, the people who actually are experts in their field and can create value, you know, they're going to have the most fun and the most um, fulfillment kind of being on their own than being part of a broader organization. It's kind of my prediction for the way things will work out. So. Well, I think everybody has a personal brand. By the way, I chose yes. to use my first name because Anson Williams – now. Do you know who Anson Williams was? No. Tell me. Potsy and Happy Days. Oh, that's right. So, that's and right. he had a company called Anson Productions. And the first iteration of my company name was Shepherd Productions. Back back in the early mm. day, all I did was present and produce, um, you know, whether it be – well, it was primarily my presentation, sometimes a show uh, on, mm. on a, you know, a stage or platform in front of a group of business people. Anyway, I digress. All right, you're getting into something that's, that's really cool, and you mentioned this, and this is what our first topic of conversation is going to be about. Uh, well, and I do want to get – maybe I should talk first about the personal branding. About 15 years ago, I, it was the first time I heard everybody has to create their own brand. And I think that's what you were saying where the executives and the leaders of organizations have to have powerful personal brands for people to rally around, their employees to rally around. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes. I, I think it's it's not only – I mean, what's interesting about that is that it, it not only works for you and I, folks that are on our own, but I, I've actually found that within an organization that's broader and bigger – it's just better for the organization's brand for individuals to have strong brands within them, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't really want a faceless, you know, um, uh, non-genuine-seeming, you know, large entity that people want to hire or buy from. What you really want is an organization that stands for something that with individuals that are stellar on their own and made even better, um, you know, in part with the organization. But I think that notion of the personal brand was important 15 years ago as you read it. It's even more important now, and I think it's going to be doubly so in the next 15 years going forward. Yeah, and, and just some examples of what that would be. I would, Off the top of my head, I'm thinking, if this is what you're meaning, a Richard Branson uh, from yes. Virgin. What a personal brand he has. He's the face of the organization. Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines, not necessarily yep. the face of the organization, but, man, the guy that just, you know, his employees loved him. And, you know, you've got other fam- – you know, Jeff Bezos, great brand. But Absolutely. part of that is celebrity, too. I mean, yeah. you know, you, you hit the uh, 
the biggest companies in the world and, and their brand ambassadors, if you will, their CEOs, their chairmen are all great leaders. But it can be in any size company. All right, let's get into the concept of the super consumer. And you already alluded to this, but you said most companies and most people are growing the wrong way by trying to steal market share from competitors. And you mentioned a concept about uh, pie stealing. And and there's a the granddaddy of our speaking business. Uh, the guy that founded the National Speakers Association was Cabot Robert. And he said, everybody should get a piece of the pie. Let's also, at the same time, make that pie bigger so we can all get a bigger slice without having to take away. I love that concept. I think that's what you're going for here. That's exactly right. And, you know, and it, it, you could argue it's a value thing, you know, and kind of akin to, hey, let's leave, you know, leave your business in, a better, in better shape than when you got it or same for the organization or even, you know, leave your part of the world a little bit better for your children and your grandchildren. So there's a, you know, there's a values and an integrity to what it is. But I also think that um, having done growth strategy for about two decades and in the last decade, I was part, my, my firm was part of uh, Nielsen, so I had access to tons of data, um, is that it's not just a matter of it's the right thing to do. It's actually great business in that what I found is that when you can make the category grow, that 1% of the brands capture 80% of the category growth upside that's there. And okay, I, I, not, I want to make sure I understand that. 1% yeah. of the brands capture 80% of the growth of a category. Correct. Really? So it's, it's, it's quite fascinating, isn't it, in that it's, it's a bit counterintuitive because most times when I talk to people about, like, hey, you know, your strategy is really about stealing market share and you're not making the pie any bigger – and uh, you ought to make the pie bigger. They, their response is, well, why would I make it bigger for my competitors? And my response back is, well, yeah, but if you the one are, are the one that's driving it, you capture the lion's share of the growth there. And that I actually have, I have another buddy of mine, uh, Christopher Lockett, who wrote, uh, who was one of the co-authors of a book called Play Bigger, which is about creating new categories. So category growth and category creation are the two ways that I advocate for companies to grow. But his research has actually found that um, in a similar but slightly different thing is that uh, when a, a company is the category king in a category, when they go public, their market share gains, 1% of the companies capture 80% of the stock price appreciation in a category as well, too. So it's not just on the revenue side. It's actually on the market value that investors assign to it is that um, it's actually the most uh, superior, the best way to grow, period, and that the least employed by most companies, which is kind of fascinating. So I want to make sure uh, this is this is a little, uh, I don't know, maybe call, call me confused right now. What if what if I'm a small company that's not number one in my category? Um, what you're suggesting is you know try, stop trying to steal market share away, but at the same time that's how I've got to grow within that category. Yet I just heard you talking about making a new category. I mean, uh, and how do I do that as a small company? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And that what what the the thing that should give small companies a lot of confidence and hope is that. So many of the people that are growing categories are actually the small companies that they were the acorn that grew into an oak tree. So, you know, the, uh, one of the great examples in, in yogurt right now, Chobani, right, um, Greek yogurt grew the category in a significant way. 
not just by adding more people. With the protein, they brought in more men. Yogurt was traditionally a more female-dominated category, but they raised the price. <laughs> so you were paying more per unit there. With, and um, when you had uh, more new consumers coming in, um, you were paying a higher price per unit on it. And you know, with the higher protein, you might have said, maybe I'll have this instead of you know, uh, some other kind of a snack. And so you're growing um, you know, units per person as well, too. And those three things are kind of the hallmark ways of a company that can grow um, the category, even if there's a small player that's there. And, and Turbani certainly you know, was not at all a big player right. before. It they got weren't your play. It. Exactly. Yep. And, you know, and Yoplait is a great example of trying to kind of sit on a lead, right? And it's a classic sports analogy of, the, you know, the, the, the people that are winning. Um, when, you stop, when you start playing not to lose, that's when the worst things happen to you, right? When you start to play to win and you continue to win throughout, that's the greatest opportunity that's there. And, you know, it, to your point about um, creating a new category um, that might be a little bit confusing, I, I actually find that I have a simpler definition of what that looks like, which is, um, if you can just reinvent the product or the, the service that you're offering and reinvent the business model that it gets delivered in, those are the, that's really what I'm talking about. It's not like creating a new element on the periodic table. And probably the, the coffee is, is the greatest example of category creation where, you know, 30 years ago we were all drinking, you know, Maxwell House and Folgers and whatnot, and then, you know, and then comes Starbucks, you know, and, and, and so they reinvented the category from a retail perspective and, you know, got you to pay a higher price per cup, certainly, but also by delivering a new experience. So the coffee was, quote, better, but also the business model was, was better and different. And then came Keurig, right, and Nespresso, which was, well, let's do the same at home. I'm right, gonna charge they created you these less. beautiful machines. Exactly, with it. And, you know, all in all, it's the same category. It's the same coffee you and I are drinking. Now, we may drink it better quality. We may have a, a better experience that's uh, delivered at home or out of the home with it, but it's still the same product. And that's kind of my thing about um, it's really about um, exploring new ideas um, in same old territories that just haven't been done yet. And so I actually find that it's, um, and this is, this is the part of that kind of comes back to the book that I wrote around super consumers is that the easiest way to figure out how to grow a category or to create a new one is to talk to the small percentage of people who are the most passionate and the most profitable in the category, right? Like mm -hmm. if you go back to, you know, kind of average Joe drinking an average cup of Joe back 30 years ago and you said, hey, do you think I could get you to spend four bucks a cup of coffee? they would have laughed in your face, right? And that the average consumer always tells a business, you know what, I just want you to make it cheaper. Make it cheaper, make it easier, and then, and then I'll be happy. They have no imagination. Whereas you get somebody who's drinking, you know, multiple cups of coffee a day, loves, you know, um, a high-end coffee or loves to explore new um, uh, roasts of coffee and, 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 and farms that are out there, they're the ones who are going to say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I could imagine paying four bucks per coffee. Yep. And that's uh, what they do. They go to Starbucks. Yeah. They go and, to Starbucks, absolutely. And we've got a $1,000 coffee maker machine in, in yes. our home. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, um, I want to. we can follow up and end this part of the conversation, but I want to get into that concept of the super consumer or the super customer. So everybody, you're listening to Amazing Business Radio. We're having an amazing conversation with Eddie Yoon. Don't go away. We'll be right back. 
Chef Hygen here. How would you like customer service training anytime you want it or need it, day or night? Well, with Shepherd Virtual Training, you will have world-class customer service training at your fingertips online 24-7, 365 days a year. Just go to www.chefondemand.com. Once again, that's chefondemand.com. And remember, always be amazing. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. Eddie, uh, we were talking about, you know, the different ways companies grow, and you talked about Starbucks, and you talked about these coffee makers, and you started making me think about, you know, disruptors. You know, I, I think about how, you know, Uber took the taxi cab business, turned it on its ear, and, uh, you know, they're doing things different. Um, PayPal, uh, they figured out a great way to get people to transfer money. People always wanted to do it. They just found a way to do it, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, that's great technology, uh, but but essentially they're they were doing something uh, that that everyone else did, and I start to think about are disruptors a big player in this concept that you're talking about? Yes, and I and I think uh, disruptors certainly are the ones um, you could call them new category creators, right? In the same way that uh, Uber is a great example of you know it's not like they invented you know taxis or, or, or getting from point A to yeah, point B. Public transportation, yeah, exactly. They disrupted how they did it through a different um, product experience, which is to say, you know, I can track my tax, my car, and I can pay uh, without any kind of, like, you know, awkwardness at the end of it. Yeah, reaching into my pocket, fumbling around in my purse or whatever. (laughs) I'm so glad those days are over. So, um, But, like, you know, it's the point that I would make is that um, they all start from somewhere in that um, you don't have to be the size of an Uber to be a disruptor and that you can have disruptive thinking in the way that you run a one-person company in the same way that you run a 100,000-person company and that, um, you know, be it Uber or Amazon, um, my, my belief is that uh, there's always a small fraction of consumers in every category. So I've yet to find a category that doesn't have this. And um, I found looked around the world. I've looked in big data, and it uh, simply is the case that they're always there. This about ten percent of the people uh, drive about thirty to seventy percent of category sales. Um, they're the most passionate and the most profitable. They and they're they they have about ninety nine percent of all the wisdom and insight about how to grow a category or to create something new. And that any disrupt, if you look back at their origin story, they started out on the backs of somebody who was super passionate and super profitable in the space, and they were able to build something new on their insights and on their willingness to spend, and that eventually it became kind of the norm and that everybody else followed along too. So it's not really an either-or, but a both-and, and this is where sequence matters. Yep. All right, so I'm going to just – we'll end this conversation, and I just want to make one really important point. As we talk about disruption – and you kind of alluded to this earlier in the conversation. Uber and PayPal and even Starbucks disrupted and Amazon completely changed the way industries are. You don't have to be – I mean, sure, you can aspire to do that, and I'm not suggesting anybody shouldn't. But why don't we just take a look at our competition? What can we do to disrupt our competition by – you know, we're selling the same things they are. We're decommoditizing and doing something different. Uh, I talk about this all the time. My car dealer that I buy, uh, have bought my last uh, three cars from, or two cars, two cars now uh, from. I left the car dealer that I've been with for years and years because these guys came along, and as nice as the other people were, 
these people offered me something the others didn't. Home delivery. In other words, I never have to bring my car. The guy even said, once you buy your car from me, the next time you come back is to buy another car. We will drop off a car every time you need service, whether it be something as simple as an oil change or some major maintenance. And I thought, wow. And I went back to my other car dealership, and I said, would you do that? And they said, sure, and we'll charge you for it, too, and a big number. And then they said, and that's only while the car's in warranty after that, we won't do it. And I started checking around. And some luxury brands will do this. My car, it, it, I guess it would be considered a luxury brand, but it's not like, you know, super high-end luxury. It's just, you know, it's a good car. Um, so they disrupted a competitor, not an yeah. entire industry. And I think that's important to make that point. So anyway, let's jump to the super consumer. And if it's okay with you, you use the word consumer, and so we do it as a catch-all. I'll call it a customer because sure. as you're talking about this, it doesn't matter if you're in manufacturing or retail. I think uh, anybody that buys uh, can be your super customer, super consumer, super client. Absolutely. And, and it, it, what's funny about it is that the concept works um, beautifully, not in just in traditional consumer goods, as you were talking about, but retail customers. Um, it even works in a business-to-business fashion, which is kind of interesting in that um, there's always a small percentage of people who are um, B2B buyers who they're emotionally invested in the category um, and they buy a lot of it. And that That's actually kind of an interesting thing where I've seen it were in compressors and smart valves and HVAC systems, like things that you would not expect that fanboys and fangirls would exist in. But, you know, people geek out about a lot of different things and that if you can find a B2B buyer that geeks out on something and buys a lot of it, um, they're going to be the best way to figure out how to disrupt your competitors and grow the category, as you talked about before with your car dealership. So I think one of the best ways to do that, uh, there's a company uh, in St. Louis here where I live, Contegix, and they got really, really big. And their CEO, I interviewed him for a book I wrote uh, three books ago, believe it or not. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, what he created was, in my mind, he, he, he created his super client by showing that he's more of a partner than a vendor. And when, you know, you're in a very competitive space, he basically uh, was Internet, you know, hosting and, and they had a client, uh, and, and the, the example is they had a client that uh, needed uh, bigger, they needed more computer power, and they needed this for a special event that they were they were creating, and it was after five o'clock on a Friday afternoon when somebody at Contegix discovered these people didn't have the computer power they needed to get them through the weekend on this special promotion. And they couldn't reach any executives. So rather than just, you know, hey, it's not our fault. They're the ones that spec'd out what they needed. He went ahead and 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 took care of them, added the extra computer power. And he said, on Monday morning, I'll talk to the uh, my customer. And if the customer says, well, I'm, you know, hey, thanks for doing that. We're not paying for it. Well, then that's the way it is. But, no, it was the exact opposite. The customer was elated. They couldn't believe that Contegix stepped up and did this. And as a result, customer for life super fan super consumer yeah. whatever you want to call it yeah well you know, you know what i mean and this is this is something that i really want to hammer home because i i think you've brought it to life brilliantly chef is that contegix your car dealership and all the examples in my book um what they really reflect are executives 
who, A, they believe these super consumers and customers exist. So um, they're, they're, they refuse to believe that everybody is the same, which is kind of the way that most businesses treat people, their customers, right? Um, so there are, there are a few that are really smart, really, in, and worthy to be engaged with. And, but the, the second part that I think is really uh, the common thread throughout all of this is that they have a level of empathy for the customer that I think is very different in that. And, and this is a little bit squishy and not a hard business metric. But what I don't I'll think tell so at all. I think this is <laughs> spot on for what it takes yeah. to be successful in today's yeah. economy. Empathy. Well, it's not squishy uh, or mushy or yeah. soft. Well, I'm, I'm glad you agree because it's, it's something that – here's my observation is that almost every company in their mission statement or somewhere in the strategy talks about wanting to delight their customers or something, something along those lines. And what I find is that 9 out of 10 companies that I work with I believe have contempt for their customers in that they believe they are smarter than their customers are. They believe that um, they are the company is more important than the customer in the short term and in the long run. They you know they treat them like transactions versus relationally. And they believe that there's not much else left to learn from them and that I think, you know, your Contegix example, your car dealership example, these are all folks that said, you know what? there's someone else out there that loves this category as much as I do. There's something that I can learn from them about. They have that humility to figure out, okay, maybe I can do something better. And they were generous in a way that said, I may or may not get the best of this particular transaction, but I'm not treating you like a transaction. I'm treating you like a relationship. And that um, I want a relationship that I want to have, to your point, for the rest of my life, and that's how people respond back. And that the the whole premise of um, why I say you know, you got to grow a category, create something new, and that seems scary. But if you can think about who your super consumers are, these are the people that are, you know, not only they deserve your empathy, they deserve your respect, they deserve humility on your behalf, and they deserve your generosity. And if you do those things, you will be rewarded in kind in such dramatic ways that you could have never even imagined. And that the 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 part that's really discouraging for me um, is that how few companies truly get this. You know, they, maybe they get it in their heads, but they don't get it in their hearts. And that it's something that I feel like, um, you know, I'm glad that you are kind of, quote, spreading the gospel of this, you know, this importance of empathy, because it's the difference between success and failure, in my observation. I agree. The book is called Super Consumers, A Simple, Speedy, and Sustainable Path to Superior Growth. It is published by Harvard Business School, so you know it is a good book. You can get it on Amazon.com and probably many bookstores. Uh, and if you don't see it at the bookstore, they'll order it for you. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, Eddie, I'm going to put you – we're going to do the lightning round. I'm going to ask you to give us some rapid-fire ideas on how we can create super consumers. And then, of course, I'll ask the final one-thing question. Everybody, you're listening to Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. Want to amaze your customers, impress the people you work with, and outshine your competition? Going from average to amazing isn't an out-of-reach goal. In fact, amazement is a habit that anyone can master. In my latest book, Be Amazing or Go Home, I share the secrets behind my mantra, which is to always be amazing. Drawing on the routines of incredible people, I share simple practices that can elevate your game. Once you master those habits, you'll be able to create trust, build stronger relationships, make sales, advance your career, and much more. Now is the time to step out of ordinary and step into being amazing. Be Amazing or Go Home is now available on Amazon.com in ebook and hardcover. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. Eddie, 
we're going to put you in the hot seat here. Uh, we've talked about this concept of the super consumer. Uh, how can any business, let's give, uh, give us like rapid fire. I want us to think this is how we get started on creating super consumers. Yep. So the first thing is just look around. And, 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 and I think right under your nose, you're going to find super consumers that you didn't even realize were that. So uh, my favorite example is uh, there was a pork company that I worked with where the uh, guy that was in charge of accounts payable ate three pounds of bacon a week. He was a bacon super consumer, and they never would have asked him, thought to have asked him for insights uh, about how to grow the category or marketing or innovation or sales uh, until they realized who he was and what he had to offer. Now, the most infuriating part about him was he was thin as a rail, but um, he was able a, to a Three pounds of bacon a week. <laughs> and a, that's a pork company's dream right there. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, But that's the point is that these people are in your midst. They, they work for you. Uh, they are your friends and your family. Uh, they're the ones calling in. Um, you know, actually, social media is a great avenue to find these people because um, you know most categories aren't so sexy that the average person would put a Facebook or a tweet about it. So you know that someone who's doing this has got to care about the category quite a bit. And so I always say um, find the, find a few. You don't need a lot. Find a few, and uh, you'll be off to the races there. All right. So uh, that's first one. Number two. Yeah. We're going to go for two, at least three. Yep, is, uh, as you said, talk to them, but ask them their origin story. So you look at kind of what Disney has done with Marvel and the billions of dollars that they've made with superhero movies, which is pretty much anything that you can find nowadays, is that they've made their money telling how these people came about, these amazing people, where did they come from, where did they start, what made them super in the first place. And if you can do that same thing, with somebody who is a super consumer and you ask them, you know, intently and listen carefully, like, how did you become this? Because my experience is that supers aren't born, they evolve that way. And it's mm. that in that journey of discovery is how you figure out when they became a super, what can I replicate to create other people to be just like them? That's the key there. Love it. Love it. And a third one. Third one is, um, I would say, do a test and learn on a small scale with these supers and use this equation. is is um, benefits greater than price, greater than cost. And it's, it's um, <clears throat> the simplest way that I can say how you might try something new is you talk to a super, find their origin story, figure out what benefits they care about you know, in, a, in a tremendous fashion. And the easy way to do that is just say, um, what would I need to do to the product or the service that would get you to pay twice as much? Uh, on a per unit basis on it or buy twice as much on Mm -hmm. it and they can answer that question easily Um, then you figure out now what could I charge you that's less than the benefits that you feel like you're getting a good deal on it and then how can I do that in a way that doesn't cost me so much that it it exceeds the price that I charge there and that uh, when you do it on a small scale you might not get it right the first time but so many people flip the equation around, right? It's, I make this thing, it costs me this. I need to charge cost plus and, you know, 10% there. And let me go find people to sell this darn thing to, right? And um, a lot of what I'm just saying is just flip the sequence around in a slightly different way. Test and learn with the super that you got the origin story for. And, it, and I guarantee your growth will uh, grow significantly faster than it did beforehand. All right, so when we're talking about the benefit and value, we're talking about the total customer experience, what you are providing that would get a customer to presumably pay um, you know, twice. Another question that I like to ask sometimes is what would happen, let's say somebody, well, I'll take my speech for example. Uh, if I charge X amount of dollars for my speech, 
What if they paid me $100,000 for that speech? If they were willing to do that, what would I do for them that's different than I do today? Yeah. And then I start saying, well, why am I not doing that now? And I don't need to ch- – I'm just charging what I've always been charging. But there's some value yeah. add that I can give them that I hadn't thought about before. Maybe that's another way of looking this, at this. All right. We are yep. down to the final question. And you know what's coming. It's the one thing question. You can re- We can emphasize something that you've already talked about, or you can give us another little nugget of brand-new wisdom. Go for it. Yeah, so um, I think w- uh, the thing that I would really emphasize is that um, you've got to pe- treat people like relationships, not transactions. And it, it goes back to the empathy point that I made beforehand. And the single most important reason for that is you know, beyond is that it's the right thing to do. But the second most important thing is that you, you think about where we've come from in the last 20, 30 years and the amount of power that the consumer or the customer has now than they did 20 or 30 years ago, it's exponentially higher now because of social media, because of uh, their ability to have transparency on reviews, uh, their ability to, um, you know, make something great public and something terrible public as well, too. That that notion of the importance of the consumer is going to get even greater in the next 20 or 30 years. And the reason why I say that is, is uh, you're going to come from a, a world where things that most everybody bought are, are not going to be the case. And so you mentioned Uber beforehand. It may be the case that the next generation of consumers do not buy cars because they can just ride share their way there. Same thing with their home. And that when you have all this money that used to be spent on these normal things can, is up for grabs for any sort of company that's out there, right? And so the money that you don't use to spend to buy a car or to spend the auto insurance, you might spend that on eating out. You might spend that on golf clubs. You might spend that on vacations. And that my point of this is that people will have a greater ability to become super consumers in the things that they care about the most because of disruption in technology that we've just been talking about. And so if you don't treat people with empathy now, if you don't treat them relationally like they're going to be with you for the rest of your business life, um, you've got to get started now because these consumers and their customers, they're going to have so much more power than they ever did before. It's not just a megaphone, but they're going to bring their bucks with it too, and they're going to spend with you or leave you in the dust if you don't uh, treat them with respect uh, as a relationship and with empathy there. And I think that's a great way to think about your business is stop looking at the customer as a customer in a transaction. Uh, somebody once said, if you go for the relationship, you might make the sale. But if you just go for the sale, you're never going to have the relationship. So uh, something like that. And it's obvious that the relationship wins over time. Eddie, awesome, awesome interview. The book, again, it's called Super Consumers, A Simple, Speedy, and Sustainable Path to Superior Growth. Everybody should be focusing on this. It's not just about pricing. It's not just about your product. It's about how customers experience your product and love doing business with you. That's all about serving them right, giving them the experience that they deserve, and creating the relationship. Eddie, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Chef. I had a great time. All right, everybody. Until next week, remember, this is Chef Hyken asking you to always be amazing. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.